2: Minimum of four lines for twenty five dollars per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account five dollars more
0: per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due thirty five dollars per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome back to Campbell X. Brad Young at your service this evening. Phone lines are open. 314-436-7900. And uh, Joe's been holding very patiently. Hey, Joe, welcome to Camel X.
2: Well, thank you very much. I wanted to say a few things about uh, Bill Gates. Yes. Um, I happen to be a liberal Democrat that voted for um, Obama twice, but uh, a lot of teachers who follow Diane Ravitch, and there's 30 million followers for her. Diane Ravitch uh, used to be, uh, in the Bush administration. She was um, in the education department, and she runs articles every day, but uh, a significant portion of them have been about Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. Teachers do not have much respect for Bill Gates for several years. A lot of us think that um, uh, Arnie Duncan and Bill Gates were people that uh, were Obama's worst mistakes to have uh, around the White House uh, with uh, access to the White House. It's just um, he had no respect for teachers. He wanted to be uh, the business type of of way of uh, pushing uh, schools into more and more charters, especially. And, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of hostility toward him for those reasons.
0: Well, you know, Joe, what I what I always thought with regard to the education system that Bill Gates saw the education system in America as really a um, a proving ground for future Microsoft purchasers. In other words, if he from his perspective, if he could get kids locked into using Microsoft products in school, then at that point when they become adults and and purchasers and consumers. They would continue to purchase Microsoft products. So at least from my perspective, he was more interested in creating future Microsoft purchasers than he was interested in making sure that kids are educated to the best degree possible. Would you agree with that assessment?
2: Um, That brings true, um, you, you know, I hadn't thought about it that much. Uh, I just, uh, uh, Arnie Duncan was another one uh, that, uh, you know, he was uh, Obama's secretary of education. And, of course, when he was followed by DeVos, she was almost a total joke. So, But uh, uh, Arnie and um, Bill Gates were more serious because they were taken so seriously by so many people. Uh, DeVos was more or less a joke. Under Trump, but uh, you know that's uh, there's a lot of hostility toward Gates in the education, uh, both from parents and teachers.
0: Or are you surprised at some of the things that are now coming out when you compare it to the kind of a squeaky clean college frat boy billionaire? sweater-wearing, easygoing guy that's trying to save the world. Now his image isn't quite the same. Were you shocked by some of those revelations?
2: Um, No, I'm not exactly shocked. I was given a book, but my uh, nephew is a nationally known uh, writer uh, that's worked for the uh, New York uh, Times, and uh, he's from Michigan. And he gave me a book last year, and I caught Gates making uh, something that wasn't true in this book. I can't – the guy's name is uh, very complicated. I can't remember it. But uh, I, I, I've i caught him on some things that I just didn't re- – his uh, total wealth, uh, you, you know, has gone from $69 billion to $125 billion at one – that's a lot of billions for one man, and people hardly notice that uh, – You know, that's a lot of billions.
0: Yeah, it certainly certainly is, Joe. And and he's got it, as does Bezos. But, hey, I appreciate you calling in this evening. Thank you.
2: Uh, Thank you.
0: You know, one of the things that that I, I really stopped listening to Bill Gates, it was in 1995, as I recall. And he came out with a book, and I read that book, and it was called The Road Ahead. Now, by 1995, if you can remember back that far, uh, the Internet had, had been around for a while. In fact, the inter- Internet was invented in the 1960s by by DARPA, by the U.S. government. And even the World Wide Web aspect of the Internet, the graphical user interface and the ability to, to look at, at web pages and to cruise the Internet, that had been going on for several years once the browser became invented in the early 90s. So Bill Gates comes out with this book, The Road Ahead. It's supposed to be a roadmap for our future. I read this book. It doesn't mention the Internet at all. Now, if you are supposedly on the forefront of technology, if you're the guy, if you're the lead person in the, in the world for determining how this country is going to move forward, how the planet is going to move forward technologically, don't you think you'd just kind of mention the Internet? I mean, I, I don't know how you would not, but in 1995... It had already. It wasn't like it was going to be. Uh, you had to be a prophet to figure that out. It was already uh, absurdly obvious that the internet was really the future of technology for for generations to come. It didn't really mention it. So at that point, I kind of stopped reading Bill Gates, and uh, and I don't think that I have regretted that for one minute. Hey, when we come back from this break, we're going to be talking to Sarah Perry. She's she is with the Heritage Foundation. And she's going to be breaking down the announcement that you heard today that the Supreme Court is going to hear in the next term the case, the abortion decision case out of Mississippi, that literally could determine whether Roe versus Wade is good law or whether it gets overturned uh, by the current Supreme Court. Camo X, at your service, Brad Young. Don't go away. We'll be back
1: right after this. Dependable. Traffic and weather together on the tens. Weekday mornings on the Voice of St. Louis. KMOX.
0: Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young sitting in this evening and, you know, the Supreme Court announced this morning that the justices have agreed to hear what could be a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. The case out of Mississippi, it's called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. It will be heard in the next term uh, on the Supreme Court, which starts in October. So here to break all the, of these issues down with us is Sarah Perry. She is a legal fellow for the Edwin Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Sarah Perry previously worked as senior counsel to the assistant secretary for civil rights at the U.S. Department of Education. Hey, Sarah Perry, thanks for joining us this evening on X.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Appreciate your time. Hey, let's discuss the Mississippi law for a moment, and then we'll talk about how the Supreme Court might actually deal with these issues. Uh, The 2018 Mississippi law that's the focus of this dispute, it essentially bars abortions after the 15th week of pregnancy, doesn't it?
1: It does. It's the Gestational Age Act, which the Mississippi legislature enacted in 2018, it bans abortion after 15 weeks except in two particular circumstances, one of which is medical emergencies or also in the case of severe fetal abnormality detection. But outside those two slim sort of exceptions to the general rule, 15 weeks post-gestational age, Mississippi intends to and has passed a law to ban all further abortions, which is really a Stunning limitation on Roe versus Wade, and the biggest challenge we've seen to date on the continued viability of that decision.
0: Yeah, it seems like the last few years, and the most recent, I think, was uh, just last year in Louisiana. Most of the cases dealing with abortion laws were dealing with states who were enacting uh, a lot of restrictions on abortion, but not banning it outright. But but this law really is a head-on challenge. It sounds like to Roe versus Wade.
1: It is because it is the most broad limitation we've seen so far at the state level against what the Supreme Court determined was a right to abortion. Now, a lot of people have criticized the Roe versus Wade decision as sort of straining at mats. In fact, a lot of people, myself included, have determined and they've decided that this was ultimately the attempt to create a constitutional right to abortion out of thin air. In fact, Justice Blackmun writing for the court, basically said it was the penumbra of the Constitution. (laughs) In other words, not what was actually there in the Constitution, but what we think it was meant to include, including the right to privacy from a 1965 case. So there are a lot of scholars of all political and ideological events that think Roe was a bad piece of jurisprudence and is ripe for overturning, even though that Rule was determined to be continually viable in 1992's Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Those two cases with this challenge and the acceptance of this challenge are distinctly in the crosshairs.
0: We're talking to Sarah Perry. She's a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. I I laugh there, Sarah, because I graduated from law school in uh, 1990 and when i got out of law school uh, i can tell you that the the uh, the time that i read roe versus wade that was the first time in my life that i ever heard the word penumbra and I, 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 I never knew what that word meant until I, I read uh, Roe versus Wade uh, in, in law school. So, uh, yes, it, uh, it, it was also cited, as I recall, the, the, the decision from Roe versus Wade as, as coming from the 14th Amendment. And yet, we know that the 14th Amendment, the purpose of the 14th Amendment, was to make sure that rights that already existed were extended to to slaves and others who, who were denied those rights, but it was never designed to create new rights out of whole cloth.
1: Absolutely. And, in fact, it's interesting that you bring up that actual opinion itself and the requirement that the Supreme Court essentially found from the progeny of the Constitution, specifically the 14th Amendment's due process guarantee, In last year's Russo versus June Medical Services case, this is the big Louisiana case. I think that had some of us really concerned because this was a common sense regulation coming out of Louisiana that required doctors to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals if they were going to provide abortion services. But the Supreme Court held that to be an unconstitutional burden on. The right to access an abortion and once again we find ourselves with this sort of piecemeal slice and dice on abortion jurisprudence which is a federal mess of the court's own making and ultimately i think we're hopeful as are many other conservative legal scholars that this provides an opportunity for the court to do as Scalia said in his dissent in Planned Parenthood v Casey This was never something we should have gotten involved in. We relegate this back to the states where people can vote, they can debate, they can hold elections, and they can talk about this in the legislatures. This was way out of our bounds of permissibility
0: agreed we're talking to Sarah Perry, she's a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and I want to circle back to a couple of those issues in just a few moments but but uh, uh, you mentioned specifically that Louisiana case from last year and and what frustrated me was that in 2016 the Supreme Court uh, struck down a Texas law uh, that was essentially identical to the Louisiana law that came back up to the Supreme Court last year. And Justice Thomas, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts voted uh, to strike that Texas law in 2016. But by 2020, apparently, he thought it was fine and he sided with the liberals. Uh, how much of an effect do you think it will be this time? Because now Justice Ginsburg, of course, has passed. She's been replaced by Amy Coney Barrett. Do you see the makeup of the Supreme Court as making a difference this time around?
1: undoubtedly, but I will say that Justice Roberts has established himself as sort of the new moderate on the court. He is what Kennedy used to be for many of us, which is sort of the swing vote on issues related to socially conservative contributions and interpretations of the Supreme Court. And I do think with Justice Barrett's appointment, her confirmation, her service now on the court Stepping in now for Justice Ginsburg. We have the potential of a 6 3 supermajority of victory in considering Roe versus Wade and ultimately eliminating the federally created rights to an abortion. But knowing that Justice Roberts is now sort of the new swing vote at a very bare minimum, I would argue that we're looking at a 5 4 Supreme Court decision. In favor of striking down longstanding precedents on Roe, because last summer's Rousseau decision actually was a 5 4 decision as well. Ginsburg was the deciding vote. In this case, Barrett may be the deciding vote. So I think all of us are cautiously optimistic mm-hmm. that Roe's time has finally come.
0: We're talking to Sarah Perry. She's a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And at the top of the hour here on Camel Wax, we play CBS News at the top of the hour. And and it was interesting that in the clip, that CBS News played. Of course, they they played a, a clip from someone commenting that, well, Roe versus Wade is super precedent, and it it really shouldn't be overturned because it's a super precedent. So we we frequently hear supporters of Roe v. Wade argue that that because of the cases following Roe, uh, that we can't overturn it because it's a super precedent. But uh, here's the example that I give, and I want to see if you agree with me. In Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896. That case upheld the constitutionality of separate but equal, but the court realized by 1954 in Brown versus Board of Education that separate but equal was inherently discriminatory and racist. So there there are examples, aren't there, of the Supreme Court saying, "You know what, we got it wrong before and it's time for us to fix it."
1: Absolutely, and I would also say that Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is sort of Roe part 2, it was the case that upheld Roe's continuing viability They changed the framework that the court established in Roe to go from this trimester framework and replacing it with pre and post viability tests. Understanding that that's the case and understanding that this is a ban on abortion post 15 weeks and the science is constantly revealing to us that we know more and more about fetal age in terms of pain capability, capability to survive outside the womb with medical intervention modern science techniques that weren't available in 1973. The circumstances in which the court could reconsider Roe are decidedly different than they were back in 1973. It is within the court's power, despite stare decisis, right, the premonition that we have to let decisions stand. They want to make sure that they don't look like they're vulnerable to political pressure. But by the same token, the science is in a different place now in 2021 than it was in 1973. This is a case
0: that's ripe to be overturned. Uh, last question. I want you to assume hypothetically that the Supreme Court uses this case for Mississippi to overturn uh, once and for all Roe v.ersus Wade. What would be the, the legal fallout? Uh, I, I'm not the necessarily the political fallout, but the, the legal fallout. In other words, there would still be states who could have abortions, right? And then there could still be states who could ban abortions. Wouldn't that be the case?
1: Absolutely. And that is ultimately what the Constitution wants the outcome to be. Exactly. In other words, this was a state's rights issue from the beginning. And 22 states now have laws on the books restricting abortion to one extent or another. Some of them allow unfettered access to abortion. That's the nature of the way a federal constitutional republic ought to be governed. It's how it should operate. The Supreme Court needs to understand that. It does. It's confirmed that understanding and other decisions that don't involve the highly charged question of abortion. But we know that the states themselves should relegate these kinds of discussions To the electorate, this is why we hold elections, why we elect people to representative government, why we debate things in an open forum, why the filibuster exists. These are the kinds of procedural mechanisms already in place so that the states can make determinations on what's appropriate and what isn't.
0: Yeah, I'm just afraid that too many people today think— Uh, that if Roe versus Wade is overturned, all of a sudden abortion is illegal nationwide, and that's just not the case. And and the example that I've tried to give is like medical or even recreational marijuana laws. Some states allow it, other states don't. That's what federalism is all about, and I'm hoping that the Supreme Court can bring that concept of federalism back to the abortion discussion. I am as well. Sarah Perry, uh, the legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And for those who want more in-depth analysis of legal and cultural issues, how can they find you? How can they find the Heritage Foundation? How can they find the Daily Signal, which is something that I read literally every single day?
1: DailySignal.org is our website for our publication that airs twice a day with brand new content. Heritage.org has an issue search bar where you can search for any issue that you would be curious about whatsoever, including issues related to abortion jurisprudence and the legality state-to-state of what the abortion laws look like. You can also find me on Twitter at Sarah P. Perry.
0: Fantastic. You're on the front line, Sarah Perry, and I'm glad you're there. Thanks for joining us this evening here on X. Thanks so much. Hey, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening. Hey, phone lines are open, 314-436-7900. You know, normally I love to look at your text messages, but we're having some technical issues with the text tonight. But listen, phone lines are open, 314-436-7900. We've been talking about big idea issues tonight, whether it's... uh, Uh, liberal policies creeping into the church or or this uh, the case out of Mississippi that's going to challenge Roe versus Wade. We've been talking about uh, President Biden uh, and how Obama became president because of Star Trek. I mean, when's when's the last time you've ever heard that theory expressed on radio? I mean, we can talk about COVID. We could talk about President Trump, we could talk about President Biden, but no one, and I mean no one, talks about how Obama became president because of Star Trek. So, uh, you heard it here first, here on the 50,000 red-hot watts of KMOX. Uh, it, what's interesting is is that uh, we, we know that these mask requirements are being lifted by the CDC if you've been fully vaccinated. And... Uh, uh, and what's interesting to me is is that just last month, President Biden was just chiding, I think it was uh, uh, Texas, Texas Governor Abbott, for lifting his mask mandate a, a month ago. And President Biden said, it's not about the politics. It's about the science. Well, how much really changed in that period of time? Not a whole lot. And so I think maybe the Neanderthals, as as many on the left have called these states like Florida, Governor DeSantis and Florida, or in uh, Texas, Governor Abbott and elsewhere, who've been opening up these states, maybe the Neanderthals got it right because Texas deaths plunged uh, in March. They just plunged down to single digits, and today it was announced there were no deaths in Texas. And they've been without a mask mandate for months now. So there's your science right there and and Biden so he's clearly wrong I think on this idea about politics. And he's also clearly wrong on an idea that I was just talking about before the last break with Sarah Perry from the Heritage Foundation. And that is this idea of federalism. The idea that there are some things that the federal government controls, there are other things that state government controls. And states control health and welfare issues. That's the idea of well that's the idea of federalism. That's why the states control their own police departments or the cities control police departments, not the federal government, because of the idea of federalism. And yet Biden wants to, wanted to, if he had his way, there would have been draconian, draconian mandates across this country. I mean, think about Sam Page. Think about the kind of things that we've had to put up with here in St. Louis County the businesses that have gone out of business, the, the people who are now dependent upon unemployment because Sam Page instituted these draconian rules that closed businesses, closed restaurants, kept people from going and working and creating jobs. And it's, it's hurting and will continue to hurt this region because of that. I, I went to eat, I think it was at Annie Gunn's in Chesterfield a few weeks ago. And I walked in, my wife and I walked in, And there were a bunch of tables that had – and I thought this was funny. There were a bunch of tables that had, like, place cards at the tables. And these place cards said, reserved for Sam. And I thought, reserved for Sam? Oh, (laughs) it's reserved for Sam Mitchell because these were the tables that had to be left open in order to comply with these social distancing guidelines. But, you know, you walk into the restaurant, there's hardly anyone there. And yet the the, the data that I've been reading – Shows that virtually, it's, I'm not going to say it's non-existent because that's easy to disprove. You just find one case and it disproves your theory. But the kind of cases that can be traced back and the number of cases that can be traced back to restaurants is minuscule. And yet we've devastated a business that hires a lot of minorities, a lot of young people, and they've been out of work and starting systemic. You want to talk about systemic things in this country how about systemic unemployment? How about systemic welfare? These are people who have been out working and getting jobs and starting businesses, and that's been thwarted because of these measures instituted by, primarily by Democrats. And if you look nationwide, you look at the states that have been thriving economically in the last few months, they've been primarily red states. You look at the states that have been hit the hardest, it's been primarily blue states. So even now, you talk about follow the science. Uh, A friend of mine uh, just today was still wearing his mask, and I said, you're fully vaccinated, aren't you? Yeah. Well, why are you still wearing a mask? Well, you know, uh," he started giving me all these reasons. And I said, hey, pal, follow follow the science. Follow the science. And so I've started to say that a lot since last Thursday. But even as we heard at the top of the hour where uh, Illinois Governor Pritzker has stated that the state of Illinois is going to be opening up, guess what? Chicago, you know that that bastion of conservatism, Chicago, Illinois, where the saying comes from, "Vote early and vote often." That's right, City Chicago. They're keeping all of their mask mandates in place. Other places that are keeping their mask mandates, and look at the trend. I'm not making this up. I'm not. I'm not trying to see politics where politics doesn't exist. If you look at at uh, Democrat-led locales, New Jersey keeping mask mandates. Hawaii, Washington, D.C. have all kept their mask mandates in place. Here's what New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy said. Uh, He said this on Friday of last week. He said that uh, uh, we're making incredible progress, but we're not there yet, even though the CDC said we are if you've been vaccinated. So now who's not following the science? And the next time some uh, next time a liberal tells me to follow the science, I'm going to have a speech for him because we've got lots of examples where that's simply not happening. But if you look at, at, at places where the mask mandates have come, have come off, literally and metaphorically, those states right now are thriving. Primarily southern states, certainly Florida, certainly Texas. And so there is, there, there is a component. And now the next battle, the next battle will be over our schools. And when we come back, I'm going to briefly mention this, and when we come back from this break though, I'm going to talk about this idea of being so risk averse that it harms us. But if you look at the, the example right now in our schools, that's going to be the next battle. Because the data is that kids hardly ever transmit COVID. Is it 100%? Of course not. And if you look even look at Britain, they've allowed kids to go back to school. And their numbers are going down. And yet the all-powerful American Federation of Teachers, that's the teachers union that has fought really for the past year to keep classrooms closed, to keep schools closed, despite study after study after study that shows little or no transmission of the virus occurs in schools. And yet what their position is as of this weekend, it's a good idea, and I'm quoting, It's a good idea to keep vigilant right now on distancing and masks in schools and to spend time trying to figure out how the new mask guidance will affect schools. And these are folks who have been advocating for the closure of schools, even though the closure of schools impacts minorities far more than any other group of people, because now that you've got Parents who depended on school, now they have to get either daycare or they have to quit their jobs to watch their kids when their kids are at home on Zoom. And listen, I had a kid at home in the past year, and there was this e learning. It was emphasis on the e, a de emphasis on the learning. So we need to get our kids back in school. I'm glad we're doing it. And yet, folks on the left continue to resist under this idea of being risk averse. I want to talk about that idea when we come back from this break. Phone lines are open 314-436-7900. Here on KMOX, at your service. Don't go away.
1: Nearly a century of informing, entertaining, and serving St. Louis. KMOX.
0: Welcome back to At Your Service here on KMOX. Brad Young in with you this evening. What's on your mind? Phone lines are open 314 436 Seventy nine hundred. Ken's calling in from Kirkwood. Hey, Ken, uh, thanks for joining us this evening on Camo X.
3: Oh, it's really Oakville, but it doesn't matter.
0: Oh, that's OK. What's um, going to, on your mind? Yeah. Well, um, I used to listen
3: uh, to Ryan till he till he went to daytime and I just. Uh, you know, there was no objectivity. It was it was strictly the conservative conservative line. And I read an article uh in the paper, it's been a couple months ago that KMOX was going to make some changes mm-hmm. and try and get away from the political stuff. And, and I've been listening uh, to you the last 20 minutes and, you know, with Biden and this heritage lady and uh, you know, <laughs> blue states, red states, uh, red states are doing it right. Blue states are doing it wrong. And is this the way that your program is going to be?
0: Well, I, I'm really glad that you asked that question, Ken. I, I am. I'm glad you called in and asked that. First of all, there is no uh, ideological requirement for this show. Uh, it's, I'm not the permanent host. Uh, I'm an attorney during the day, and there are going to be other hosts who will be sitting in whenever I'm too busy during the week to to do this show. And they will bring their own Uh, their own views into this. There is no ideological litmus test, first of all. Secondly, when you talked about uh, moving away from necessarily uh, being a conservative voice, uh, when Rush Limbaugh passed away, three hours a day was devoted to very strong conservatism. Now with St. Louis Talks with Ryan Recker and Carol Daniel and Bo Matthews, it's pretty much apolitical. So what three hours a day was devoted to politics has now devoted to yeah. local issues that are primarily non political. And then finally, Mark Reardon, who again was very strongly conservative, he switched from Camo X to 97.1 and been replaced by Dave Glover, who is primarily non political. So what you read in the post dispatch, I think, was an accurate assessment that Camel X, not necessarily by design, but just because of programming decisions is less conservative perhaps than it was in years past but that doesn't mean that i'm going to speak uh anyway other than than the beliefs that i hold and i argue them very passionately
3: okay um you mentioned ryan's new show i mean he's definitely leans conservative bo matthews leans conservative and I have not listened to the show, not not one minute, not one for any particular reason. I just don't, uh, during the day, I just don't listen to the radio. I Do not uh, Do you know Carol Daniels? Uh, I do.
0: Uh, Politics. Well, I don't know her politics. I know her quite well, and she's a seasoned broadcaster. But the point of the show, I've listened. I can't tell you that I listen to every show, Ken, that's been on, but I've listened yeah. to a lot of them. I keep them on in the background when I'm working at work, and I've also gone to Camox.com and the Odyssey app to listen to the podcast and most of the shows are 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 non-political they're talking about local well, I'm, issues I'm,
3: I'm, so they're... i'm i'm glad i'm glad to hear that and uh, i i guess what you're saying is the way that your show is right like tonight you're you're the host and i realize there's going to be others but you are going to express your views where their show the 3 hours is more non-political than what your show would be.
0: Well, my show is not political. What I try to do is I'm, I'm an attorney, and a lot of the issues that I find to discuss uh, revolve around legal issues. And so that's why I had on the Heritage Foundation, because that has been turned into a—it is a political decision as to whether you think the Constitution is a living, breathing, emerging, evolving document— or whether it, it 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 establishes certain concepts, ideals, principles, and freedoms that should be adhered to. And that's a political position. And so I, yeah. I'm going to discuss I, 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 that know. because that's what I believe. And I'm not gonna talk about uh, you know, what's the dog catcher doing this evening whenever there are huge issues like this nationally and locally that I see and I can give my particular insight into from a legal, uh, from a, a moral, and certainly from a col- political conservative viewpoint, I'm going to express those.
3: Well, and, and I, I know you are. I don't like that. But I, I know you are. are. Are you old enough to know, uh, to recognize the name Tim Russert?
0: <laughs> Not only am I old enough to know Tim Russert, Ken, um, Tim Russert to me was the best, the the best uh, political analyst on television in all, of all time, because you could I, listen to him I, for decades and you could never know what he felt, uh, what he felt and what he thought politically. You'd never know it. And it wasn't that wonderful. Oh, it was wonderful, but but that's not it, it what we're was doing. So we're,
3: wonderful, because he and was. You know, I can listen to you for five minutes, and, and I know exactly <laughs> where where
0: you stand. Exactly, but you know what? I, that's the difference. That's the difference, Ken. And I, I, you and I, actually agree far more than you think we disagree. Because I, what, I don't what, know. And, and let me show know. you how. Let me show you how. If you turn on most mainstream news. Television programs, whether it's CBS, ABC, NBC, I'm not talking about Fox or MSNBC or Newsmax, okay, but but CNN, those are all, they predominantly put forward a left-leaning, not far left, not progressive, but a left-leaning viewpoint, but they disguise it as objectivity. I'm not disguising anything as objectivity. I'm yeah. telling you exactly what I think and why I think it. But that's yeah, more so, honest, <laughs> don't you think? That's more honest than <laughs> yeah. CNN, who who well, really C- tries C- to trick CNN, you.
3: CNN, I've, and I've quit watching CNN because it, it just it, you know they are so far left. Uh, it, exactly, but I they don't, don't cons- like call I, themselves now. Now with NBC and and, and we watch. Uh, my wife and I watch. Uh, NBC and Lester Holt every night at 530 and you know I I can't pick up on it I'm I'm not picking up
0: on it well Ken hey we're coming up here on a hard break we're coming up on a hard break my friend thanks for calling in I appreciate hearing from you you've got a great point of view thank you sir Brad Young on Camo X we'll be right back TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone